Football is very much back, and right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, and Anytime goal scorers with over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall to wall football in the Premier League, and games are coming pretty much every single day. And the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and well, you can create your own personalised bet. If you can't watch a game live, then do not worry. The Bet365 Match Live features can be used on the app, and you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play or the Apple App Store. Remember, over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery It is Saturday night. My name is John. With me is Jason. Hello there. And Mike. Hello, John. Hello. And we are, we're at our homes, uh, all watching Watford on the big Saturday night television, taking on Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Six minutes gone, nil, nil. Uh, and this whole podcast is going to be us sort of recording as the game goes on, uh, rather than doing it all at the end as we normally do. Jason, we've seen the team. Three changes. And uh, we will probably hear Arlo in the background. But Jason, there were three <laughs> changes uh, uh, to the team. Uh, Chalabar, Mariapa and Cabaselli coming in. What does that mean? Well, we're still four at the back. Uh, two in front of them, three, and then one up front, which is, of course, Troy Deeney. But, but the graphic that we saw from the club was uh, Hughes out left. Um, Mariapa on the right and Firmina on the left. How did, how do you sort of see that? Was that does that make sense to you? Yeah, we've seen we've seen Kiko cover on the left before, and he did a pretty decent job when uh, in sort of Pearson's early days. So not entirely surprised by him moving to the left. Maybe a little bit more surprised by Mariapa coming in, but perhaps that's just to to rest players. I don't know why he hasn't decided to go with. Holabas instead of Messina. What is it? What is it? What's in front of him? Is it the fact that he's put huge? It could very, yeah, it could very well be that. We've we've talked about it before with um, Kiko and his desire to get forward and overlap, and you can see that working quite well. I I don't know if there's anything up with Nacho. Uh, if you're going to do that with Kiko, I'd have expected. Nacho to have come in on the left-hand side and play that role instead of Hughes, but he's not in the squad at all today. I don't think so. If he's not available, then okay, let's put yeah, put Husey out there. We'll expect him to, to probably tuck inside a bit more, play a bit more central. I think when we're defending, we're probably more likely to see a a, a four five one than anything else. Just get that one away. <laughs> this is the trouble when we're recording the podcast. It's so nervy watching it. <laughs> so yeah, I'd, I'd expect when yeah when we're defending a, a four five one, we sort of. Dini, either Dini or Saar being the lone striker, perhaps Dini tucking back inside because he could be more defensive and leaving Saar on the on the shoulder of the last man to try and uh, try and get away with his pace. Mike, you know, we spoke to uh, Liam uh, to me, uh, who's the Chelsea correspondent for the Athletic, and uh, he sort of said, you know, the way to beat Chelsea is to sort of frustrate them for for quite a long period of time. And and I suppose when I saw Hughes, I wasn't 
surprised because that sort of makes sense, have another Terrier in there. Why not? Yeah, I think Will Hughes has been one of the better performers since, since the restart. He's been the one that's come out and, and looked like he's been willing to, to put the hard yards in and try and make something happen. So, yeah, good to see him shifted out. I, don't, I mean, I think he's, he is such a talented player that um, you know, players would all, always argue that they'd rather be played in their ideal slot. But I think you know what you're going to get from Will Hughes. So putting him out there, you can trust him, can't you? And you can trust him to at least make, make a nuisance of himself. Um, so, yeah, fascinating to see Chalabar given an opportunity to come to come straight back into the side. And just shows to, goes to show that Pearson has faith in him. And there is still perhaps hope for that, that midfield trio of Chalabar, Takore and, and Kapu. It'd be interesting. They've got to take hold of this, haven't they? They've got to do a lot of legwork in this game to keep Watford in it for as long as possible. And hopefully allow Watford to maybe create something on the on the break. Uh, Mariapa at right back I guess is 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 a concern maybe. He wouldn't necessarily be a first choice would he as as right back but again he's one of those who doesn't tend to to let us down massively so we shall see yeah seven ten minutes gone and uh, pretty cagey stuff so far although Chelsea getting forward more than we are, unsurprisingly. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the Mariapa thing, I don't think I'm as worried about it. The Mariapa thing doesn't worry me as much uh, because he's starting there. But the thing, I think, the, the, the very wise move, Mr Pearson, is I don't think Chalabar has scored against Chelsea. Old boy rule. He's going for the old boy rule. Is there a chance to get a goal against your old team? I reckon that's exactly where Pearson is thinking about why he's playing Chalabar. Nothing tactical. It's all about stupid superstition. <laughs> so we're going to be, we'll do a, a, a little bit every uh, every sovereign throughout the game uh, and we'll see how it goes. It, it, like I said, it, it's cagey. It's, it's not tidy. Uh, but let's see how the Hornets get on away at Stamford Bridge. From the rookery end. We are at the first drinks break and, well, how's it been, Mike? Has it been as good as you'd expect? Because, you know, you haven't been any positive about Watford over the last couple of uh, uh, weeks. Well, quarter one done and it's nil-nil, so you've got to say probably... Mission accomplished so far. Watford making some progress down the left-hand side. Will Hughes getting into the game a little bit and Kiko Feminia getting getting forward quite nicely. So, yeah, some some promise down that side. They haven't, as has been the um, one of the downsides since we came back after the break. They haven't been able to get Saar into the into the game at all. Perhaps that's why they Chelsea have got more of an eye on Saar, allowing Watford to to, to capitalise down the left a little bit, giving free kicks away. They've had two or three now. Chelsea in in decent positions and unfortunately Etienne Capoue's picked up a, a yellow card and I have to say that whether that was a, a yellow card challenge for me is is very very debatable um, and they mentioned on the TV that VAR was actually checking it to see if it should have been a red and I don't know you've got a there's a midfielder really you should should be allowed to make those sort of challenges I, I think and then there's one you know a, not quite as as bad in, in front of the Chelsea penalty area, to, to allowing Chalabar to spoon one over from a free kick. That that wasn't a yellow card, so a bit disappointing. And now Kapu, perhaps that blunts him a little bit because he can't fly around as much as he ordinarily would have done. But uh, Chelsea, as you'd expect, really in the in the ascendancy when it comes to the uh, the attacking threat. But you know, Watford Watford hanging on in there so far. And defensively, Jason, how how are we performing? Where how are we performing as you'd expect? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, there we go. A Watford we, behind. <sighs> I was going to say it had been okay, but there was still there were a couple of moments where we just 
lost a bit of concentration and I don't think that's even that. It's a, it's a decent ball. It's a decent run from Giroud. Dawson sells himself really. Slides past the ball and Giroud puts it puts it in the corner. Disappointing, isn't it? Straight after straight after the drinks break. I mean, it's it's almost like you could you could write about it. You almost almost expect it to happen. Don't like saying that. Don't like the phrase "typical Watford," but <laughs> it just it just feels like that's the sort of things that are happening to us at the moment. I think this is a massive thing. The, I mentioned it in the Leicester game, and you you have to do it straight back on after these restarts. You have a I don't know how long it is. Is it two minute mandated break? And you have to get the pace of the game back up straight away. And you know it's a it's a half decent finish, but I think it's far too easy for for Giroud to score there. He gave him enough enough time to sort of. To, to pick his corner, didn't it? And Ben Foster, no, no chance. And just the fact that it's come after the after the drinks break is so frustrating. We were talking now; they've just about held. It wasn't exactly by the skin of their teeth, but Chelsea were in the ascendancy. But they weren't. They weren't exactly knocking the door down. And just for it to happen like that after the drinks break is uh, is frustrating. And it's it's just an incredibly long way back now, isn't it? Already half an hour gone, and it's I'm not going to say damage limitation because there is enough. Uh, that first sort of 25 minutes for down the down the left for Watford to give us some hope, but one nil down, Etienne Capoue on a yellow card, and, and and all of a sudden it looks it looks difficult, doesn't it? Going back to the defending question, we've got six seven men in the box as they attack. We we're letting them have the possession. We're just getting back, trying to keep our shape. Yet they're still finding through lapses in concentration the the ability to sort of thread balls through and runners to pick them up. And they've had, I mean, graphics just come up on the screen, four shots on target already, despite the fact that we're trying to sort of flood the box with yellow shirts. And it, it, it so clearly isn't working as we want it to. It isn't. And uh, there's a long way to go. You know, we've seen Chelsea go ahead and, and not do well against uh, West Ham. But, yeah, I don't think my confidence is there. It hasn't been all day today and uh, I think I've been a bit ratty apologies to the family uh, but we you know it is it is just come up for uh, half an hour gone uh, and let, well let's see what happens at, by, between now and half time we're the Orns you're the Orns come on you Orns what the hell is going on <laughs> that's a good question Leanne what the hell is going on um, yep yeah, we're at our houses uh, doing this it is half time Watford are now 2-0 down, thanks to a penalty. So, where do you want to start? Um, just Etienne Capoue, Mike? Well, I just think Watford's given far too many free kicks away in the in an incredibly dangerous area outside the edge of the box. And that probably tells you all you need to know about the about the pattern of play, doesn't it? I mean, luckily, the, the, wall's hend- the wall has done its job so far. I think it just goes to show that how much Watford are on the back foot since we spoke after... After Chelsea went ahead, uh, you know the, the positives that we mentioned in terms of familiar and and Hughes haven't really been seen at all. Saar got forward once and and fizzed an early ball in, which which caused a bit of di- bit of difficulty. We got a corner from that, um, but yeah, since that it's been it's been one way traffic really. And I think the the challenge was um, it's kind of summed up the defending we were having having to do, sort of just chasing, chasing, chasing the whole time. It was it's not it's not wave after wave of Chelsea pressure. Just the quality they have on the on the ball going forward. Pulisic in in in, in particular looks just so comfortable and smooth on the ball and uh, you know, you, you you contrast that with us going forward where it's very, very quick and rushed and hasty and the challenge for the penalty was completely 
unnecessary, I think, really, wasn't it? It, it was emotional, yeah. wasn't it? It was a very emotional, yes. and he is... It's a good way to describe Now, my question is, is he playing emotionally out of getting a yellow card and being behind, or is he actually playing this game overly emotionally, which we have seen from him on several occasions, especially the first season he was with us and we played against Spurs. His head went. His head seems to have gone for me, and he's almost... Yeah, we want. We've everyone's been saying all day. You know, we, we don't. You know, maybe we, don't, we do want to win. Of course, we want to win. But the most important thing is we want to see a performance. We want to see you want to win this game. Uh, but he's not doing it in the right way, is he? There was there was a there was a point. I don't know if you noticed it. Just before he gave the penalty away, there was that one of those many free kicks where it's gone through the wall. And I think he was the one in the wall that sort of turned almost turned his back on it. He's turned sideways. I think he's brushed his hand as he's gone through. Thank God, VAR didn't pick that one as a as a penalty and i just yeah just just when that happened that was that sort of rang warning bells for me why professional footballers shouldn't be doing that what are you doing etienne i hadn't really thought of it like that i think it, for me it summed up more just a pattern of play really and i think he's obviously desperate to i think to try and run things isn't he he has been one of watford's most consistent performers this season if there has been such a thing, and um, I think you're both right. I think he probably it looks like his his head's gone to a degree. I think it'd be unfair to pin the fact that Watford are two 0 down at half time solely on him. Obviously, it was a, it was a not an ideal, <laughs> obviously challenge for the for the penalty. But we were we've been up against it really, haven't we? Without you know Ben Foster hasn't exactly been clawing them out of the top corner, and we haven't been uh, clearing them off the line. But we have really been. There's only really been one team in it, hasn't there? In in, in reality, well, Jason. You've got 45 minutes to go. We are 2-0 down. We have got more games to go. And, of course, a result and a win is, uh, you know, a draw, great. Uh, a, a win, amazing, If we from this point here. But what are the most important things you need to see from Watford to make this a, a positive game for us on going onwards? I think they just need to, to start again, don't they, without getting too clichéd about it. Let's... Let's play the second half as if it's the first. Let's go out as if it's nil-nil and just try and get a result in the second half. I, I mean, you could say, OK, let's go for it. We've got nothing to lose. But what happens if we end up losing three, four, five nil? Does that damage the confidence even more? I, I wouldn't want to complicate things. I wouldn't want to get into their heads and, and make things confusing. I think I would say, let's just start again. Let's have a go. Let's pretend it's nil-nil. Let's go out. Let's see if we can win the, win the second half. And if you get one back, then Chelsea will start getting nervous. Um, and then maybe we can get something. I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's going to happen. I think this game's gone. Um, let's just try and get out and not come out of this game completely bereft of confidence, if that is at all possible, if they're not bereft of confidence already. That's what we need to do. That's absolutely what we need to do. They need to get. They need to have something to take out of this game. The absolute baseline is that we can't lose four, five, nil. We just can't afford to do that because goal difference is going to be as good as a point. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen Bournemouth ship a load today. Villa have got to go to Liverpool. Hopefully, Liverpool have got over their hangover um, that they're evidently struggling with. Goal difference is as good as a point, and it's going to be very, very, very tight. We just have to make sure a we don't ship a, a, a load. And B, there just has to be something that they can come out and hang something on for for the next game. It, it doesn't matter that it's Norwich because the way Watford have been playing 
since the restart, you, you could play Arlo's Cheshire United under eights and you wouldn't really back them to, to win with all, with all, <laughs> with all due respect. So they just, you know, whether it's a goal for Troy, whether it's a goal for Asar, Will Hughes does something, you know, they just, there's got to be something that we can t- take away from this because there's been precious little comfort for us since we, since we've come back from the restart. You know, the, the win against the, the late draw against Leicester is looking less and less like a decent result as the weeks go past. I know they've, they've won today, but Leicester are out of form. We just have to, there's got to be something that has to show some element of, of fight. And you, you guys talked very well about Etienne Kapu and about the way he was doing. There is a way to fight and it's not to lose your control. You have to be cool, calm and collected in this. You can still battle without completely losing your head. And, and that's what we've got to do. And I'd like to think that, I wonder whether, whether, um, uh, whether Pearson will change things up at half time. He didn't change things when things weren't going well against Southampton. This is slightly different. We're two goals down now. We're only one goal down against Southampton. So it'll be interesting to see the reaction that, that, that Pearson has. We've got to get out of this relatively unscathed. And by that, I mean not, not losing 4-5-0. And we have to have, there has to be some spark. There has to be something they can go into the office on Monday morning and look, say, look, we did that well. The stats keep flashing up. Chelsea concede a lot from corners. So let's try and, and do that. They're, they're obviously, um, susceptible to set pieces. Watford are obviously terrible at set pieces, but let's you know that's that could be something we can go to. Let's sort of push forward, push forward, try and try and get corners and see if we can put them under pressure. Because if we do get one back, anything anything could happen. One bright spark that Budweiser advert, the advert is on at half time. So <laughs> no, that's I know it in. isn't the original advert. It is not oh. the original advert. They're saying football's back. Football. It's a classic advert, and I've, I'm disgraced at Budweiser. But I'll also, maybe I'm a bit over, bit over the top because what for the two nil down. Anyway, <laughs> we will see if anything can anything can come out positive of the next 45 minutes as Watford are currently two nil down away at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. <laughs> And there we go. Watford finished the away trip to Chelsea three uh, nil. Uh, another goal, but it, w- it was injury time goal from Barkley. It did take me a couple of minutes to remember what his first name was. I got stuck with Niles and Charles, uh, but it was Ross <laughs> Barkley uh, with a very very late goal. Jason, my role, I believe, uh, in this podcast the last ten years has to try and be positive, to find the positive, or at least get you guys to find the positive uh, in performances. What have you got, Jason? Uh, I think I've got a couple. Oh, huh. I'm going to start with in the first half. The teams have worked out that we've got Saar and how good he is and nullify him quite quickly. And I was quite pleased that we didn't just try and batter that down and, and sort of keep going down that route. And we actually were able to switch the ball down the left. And I thought Kiko put in a dis- decent fist of being the man on the left-hand side, out of position, um, making those overlapping runs. Final ball probably let him down a little bit, but I was pleased that we weren't just sort of trying to almost sort of flog a dead horse in in uh, in sticking with Saar, who, who was clearly not not at the races really today because Chelsea were looking after him. The other one I'm going to bring up is Danny Welbeck through the middle. When we switched him to the middle, all of a sudden we looked looked dangerous. He was picking up good intelligent positions off the off the shoulder, sort of off the, off in the channels, where all of a sudden the midfielder was getting a bit of space. 
in between their sort of defensive midfield were able to play balls through because they they had some yeah they had something to aim at. He was probably unlucky not to score when he when he came through and then made a good run again, sort of finding a finding a channel to run through, beat the centre back guy and had that great chance for Hughes, who was probably a bit unlucky. Loftus Cheek did a good job there. Um, to deny us a goal just before they got their third, but all of a sudden we looked we looked a threat with, uh, with with Danny up the middle. I quite like that, and I just wonder if that's something we'll consider using in future games. Mike, you know the the what was the tactic for Watford? Was it just let's not get rolled over? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was it was a match really in in name only for for the most part of it, wasn't it? Watford weren't weren't threatening at all and. Having gone in at, at half-time 2-0 down, the fear was, as we said, that they could end up losing 3-4-5-0. As it was, they lost 3-0 and, you know, Bournemouth had taken a tonking this afternoon, but absolutely, actually we've come out of it exactly the same. Minus three on the, on the goal difference. Um, so yeah, I think, and they, they probably did do a reasonable job actually of hanging on in there. I think on the commentary, Alan Smith felt like he was reaching a little bit at the time. Said, oh, they've hung in, they've hung in there. That's kind of almost all they did do. Um, but hearing Jay's talk there, I think he is right. We did look smarter and sharper and, and more like a threat when, when Danny Welbeck came on and he could kind of see what we were going for. We were trying to stay in the game at 2-0 and then build up a little bit of a head of steam towards the, towards the end of the uh, end of the game. We didn't do. We could see the shape. We could see it sort of slightly forming. We could see the, the idea. Um, but we were so far away from, from putting Chelsea under any sort of Pressure. The, the fact that we crossed the halfway line a couple of times, and you thought, "Oh, something's on here," um, just goes to show how um, far off the off the pace we were as a as a team, and how far away it was from from being a um, being a, a contest. And and Danny Welbeck had that one chance. I do agree. I thought he looked good, and I think he's done. He must have done enough today to to earn a start against. Oh, he's got to have done. against Norwich. But what, so telling, wasn't it, when he had that chance? Just outside, the, or just inside, maybe the six-yard box. He opened his body up, tried to put it in the uh, in the bottom right-hand corner. How many chances have we seen Watford create like that since the restart? And and probably in the last ten or eleven games. And I tell you, the answer is next to none. Um, as as as, a, as an attacking threat, this Watford side is beyond feeble. Uh, and I know people are already Chelsea away. That's fine. We didn't really expect to get anything out of it. I said at half-time we need to take something out of this game. And I think what we've taken out of it is that the shape we ended the game in was was slightly better. Welbeck um, was the only one that looked like he was capable of, of creating anything. It's a very, very faint beacon of hope because, you know, that was... I mean, the, Watford's attacking threat is just such a huge, huge concern. It's almost... We've forgotten what a chance looks like. We've we've forgotten what seeing an opposition goalie making a save is like. That's what it was like when when Welbeck had that chance today. Leicester was a last minute equaliser, overhead kick from a, a centre back. Southampton was a consolation goal, an own goal. You cannot overstate just how far off being a problem for an opposition Watford are. It's hugely, hugely, hugely concerning. And I always say it. I'll say it again. Chelsea are. Well, they're third in the table, fourth in the table. This is a very, very good football side we're up against. It's away from home. Uh, I think the last time we won at Chelsea in the league was, what, 1986. It doesn't happen very often. It was very unlikely it was going to happen tonight with, with the form that Watson are in. But it's just the threat that they carry. It is so minimal. 
Um, and it just felt like, you know, I joked, I joked about, you know, Arlo's Jeffrey United under eight side. What it currently feels like when you watch Watford in Premier League action is like a conference side or a, or a lower league side playing a cup tie against um, an F, a, a Premier League side. Happy that they're going to get half the gate receipts and they will take um, the fact that they don't lose six, seven, eight nil as a result. That's that for me is how it feels. Watford aren't in these contests in terms of the end result. They're, at the moment, they're making up the numbers and they're not even doing a very, very good job. They're not doing a very good job of that. Jason, is it there is no threat going forward? And I know this is the easiest thing to do as a football fan when you're not winning or you're not scoring or there's something missing is to go, well, what, what, what isn't there? Is it, were, were we just so dependent on Jerry? I don't know if we'd have missed him today or any of those games uh, that we've had so far in the restart. I think we will miss him on Tuesday. I think we've accused him in the past, and I'm sort of quoting Mr. Parkin here, I think you've called him a flat-track bully yeah. in the past, and I think that's exactly what we need on Tuesday to get a result out of that game. We need someone who's happy to turn it on against um, supposed weaker opposition, teams that struggled, teams that would be scared as soon as they see that kind of player on the pitch, um, and he's not going to be there. Um, whether that will have a bearing on the outcome, I don't know, but... Um, it would have been good to have him in the side on Tuesday night. There's a question. Mm, I'm not sure. Anyway, Mike, we got a tweet. I, I put out a thing earlier on. Any questions, uh, anything you want to get involved with? And we got a, a tweet from Luke uh, Elkins. Uh, and he says, I'm, I'm not sure about this one. What do you reckon? Probably needs a whole pod on this. It's not a simple answer. But what are your boys' thoughts on how the Pozzos run the club? Do they need to reset us like Brighton have done? Well, I think with the Brighton reset was a was a complete change in footballing philosophy, wasn't it? They got rid of Chris Eden, who kept yeah. them up and brought in Graham Potter. So that's a, a a change in footballing philosophy. I don't think they're scared necessarily of that because they, we've seen them brought in different styles of coaches to a degree. I don't think we've ever had like a, a massively flamboyant head coach who who wants to play free flowing football. Although Marco Silva did have us ticking, didn't he, and looking like a uh, a wonderful side going going forward, although you do question how much that was down to Richarlison and other things. So it, 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 I think I think he's right to raise it. I think it is something that needs looking at because ultimately Watford have been given an, an opportunity to to establish themselves in the Premier League over the five years we've been in the division. We have seen um, repeating issues, haven't we? So it, usually it's been we've been safe by round about Christmas or the New Year. And then the form has tailed off and we just haven't been able to, to deal with that. This year we haven't recovered from last year's um, nosedive in form and it looks like ultimately it's going to end up in, in us disappearing out of the division. So with that in mind, you have to say yes. But I, I do think it needs a, a wider... Because it's a, yeah. you have to look at it in context. But the, but the fact of the matter is, and the, and the way that we're talking or have been talking since, for most of the season in reality, not just since we've come back from from the restart, although I think that does tell its own story, the fact that Watford have been unable to lay a glove on any of the sides that we've played and out of form Leicester, Burnley who are completely shorn of half their side on the back of losing to Manchester City, Southampton, yeah, okay, a very, very good side, but if you you need to put up a fight against Southampton if you're going to stay in the Premier League and then we've been rolled over by by Chelsea. We shouldn't be in this situation, but we are, and the fact that we are, bears out the fact that there is a question worth asking. 
and you do have to look at the at the wider issue. What which signings have come through and really really done well for us? Which have we sold on, made money, reinvested? The loan signings have come in. How has Watford, the football team, benefited and improved over the over the five years? The answer is we look like we're going down. So there, there's your answer. It does need a much much bigger. I think so. Question. I think it needs a much longer podcast to really look at those trends that you've, you've sort of hinted at there Mike but we'll get we'll come back to you Luke we'll come back to you definitely Watford have got a game on Tuesday it's an important one we've known that for a very long time uh, but we've taken on Norwich and being part of the athletic podcast network we uh, have been getting to talk to the athletic correspondents for the various clubs coming up and to preview the Norwich game we spoke to Michael Bailey no relation to Jason uh, about Norwich where they are uh, and what are the chances of Watford winning and getting three points when the Canaries visit Vicarage Road on Tuesday Michael, it's it's nice to finally be talking to someone that's in the in the same boat as as Watford, struggling at the wrong end of the table, struggling for form, struggling for goals, struggling for points. How's it been for you? <laughs> well, the first couple of months were great because Norwich were great and everything was we were high on life. And I think then, for probably from then until March, it was pretty sobering. There was a bit where there wasn't any football. And I think we all got kind of excited again that for some reason, <laughs> ignoring all logic, um, Norwich would suddenly realise the situation they were in and just click like they did at the start of the season. And then the last three weeks have been woeful. Kind of put the season out of its misery is probably how we're all feeling at the moment. We're in a similar situation, all, all joking aside. How do you see the game on Tuesday going? I mean, obviously, you'll be playing Brighton before that and I guess win that and you've got Watford and then is it West Ham to, to come as well? So there are there are chances to, to pick up points. Have, have Norwich given up or is it now a case of trying to end, end the season on as much of a high as possible to, to, to go, into the, uh, go into the summer and rebuild without being too sort of depressed about the whole thing, basically? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a big three games and a lot will depend on, on the Brighton game. I think um, when Norwich came back, Daniel Farker made quite a big play of the fact that it was a nine game playoff series just like US sport away we go if we can win win the series 5-4 we reckon that will be enough they're obviously nil three two of their remaining games are at Chelsea and Man City so you could argue they're nil five already it was interesting off the back of the Arsenal game that which they weren't so bad in it was just two horrific mistakes that Mm. that played such a massive part in the game and also their their psychology after those goals after that game Daniel for the first time really said look I'm not going to sit here and say what we need to do and this that and the other let's just go back work out how we need to do to perform well and we'll take it from there and again in the press conference we had today he, he was sort of talking like I'm only really interested in performances now I know when I if I'm watching a division that I'm not attached to and I see a club that's bottom of the table but not relegated yet and their managers talking about let's concentrate on performances you know they've basically written it off there is that element it depends what everyone else does as well of course because if Norwich for some you know Norwich beat Brighton and then beat Watford and all of a sudden they're a point away from the other teams then you you don't know but um I think the damage has, has really come in those other three games and they're probably not doing enough when you watch them to think that they can turn it around so they want to focus on the processes and I, I, I think they will still believe when they go and kick off that they've still got a chance but I think whatever doubts they've got they will probably come racing back if they fall behind in games and things like that 
I'm absolutely fascinated by the the way that the clubs down the bottom, Michael, really have struggled to to even look motivated. You've been at Carrow Road, you've you've watched the games. Obviously, one of them's been a been a cup tie. But do you think this this sort of playing in front of an empty ground is a massive Achilles heel for teams down the bottom? Because it's been raised, it's been mooted. But then you look at the bottom of the Championship, for example. Hopefully, not somewhere where neither of us will be looking at next year. But those teams have come out the the traps absolutely flying, playing behind closed doors. They've, they've put an incredible runs of form together. So, what sort of impact do you think it has had? The thing that really caught me with the Southampton game. So Norwich put a huge amount on that game because that was going to set the narrative of how things were going to go. Um, it was a great opportunity against a team with not a lot to play for, theoretically. Norwich had beaten Spurs over 120 minutes uh, the week before, although they had a difficult week with a positive COVID test, obviously, and whatever went on before the actual game. But they started well, but they, they didn't get themselves ahead. Although it was the first experience of behind closed doors football in, in this kind of situation, what once the game was played, you kind of were just focusing on what was going on with the game. But the thing that struck me is the moment Norwich went behind, it was like the floor fell out and they they just looked so, everything was so lonely. And I think at that point, I know what Carroll Road would have been like. You'd have had the fans, even if they'd have, they'd have known it was such a big game that they would have rallied them. There was just nothing and they couldn't do it themselves because they looked absolutely shot. Obviously, all the baggage of the season that had gone on up to that mm. point came flooding back. So... I think in those situations, it does make a huge difference. I don't know how many of the teams down the bottom since the restart have have taken the lead and then blown it. I don't think it's happened. I think most of them have generally gone behind and then just done nothing. And I think that's probably an interesting point. And I think obviously the the teams down there are struggling for quality because that's why they're down there. And it does clearly emphasise that more when you don't have the fans involved and therefore the emotion of the game is just stripped away from it. So the, the emotional decisions that players make and probably um, quite a lot of the time they're the ones that they get wrong. They're not there now. I think that's probably played a, a part because we're, we're talking about very good sides at this level. Um, mm. And and I, I don't. I've never really bought that the Premier League is is a, one of these really tight divisions where anyone can beat anyone. I think there's a real disparity in quality generally across the division. And and so one of the great sort of things that mixes that up a bit. And I think we've looked at Norwich and thought, well, have you prepared properly? Are you are you as physically fit as you thought you were? Which, especially against Southampton, who, who you know looked very strong and finished the game really strong. But I think yeah. that was as much to do with the psychology, really, rather than the actual fitness issues of it. Because Norwich looked reasonably strong with ten men over 120 minutes against Man United. So um, I think what you, what you have is players left in their own heads more, and I think that psychological situation is is dictating a lot more and that's that's why the these teams at the bottom are are struggling so much but it's interesting with Watford I I honestly didn't think uh, I didn't think you guys would struggle as much over these opening games what about the 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 Norwich faithful surely with the lack of money spent new to the Premier League being down the bottom isn't a surprise but actually you've had some big wins did the hoopla of the Premier League take them away too much or, or are they sort of grounded do you think that's a great question i mean what you have is a situation where i think norwich got promoted as champions completely surprising compared to where they were at the start of that championship season people thought the way they went about it in the championship meant that they would be better suited to playing in the premier league with sort of a an attacking fluid possession-based football i think a lot of the fans thought well you know the way we go up if we play like this you know we we're going to be suited to what we're going to come up against um so there was probably an expectation. And then you get through the first five games. Timo Pukki scored a hat-trick against Newcastle and you've beaten Man City at home. Um, 
I think everyone got a little bit giddy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, they were always aware of what the, the plan would be. But I think from that point on, it's been apparent that everyone's kind of wised up to what Norwich can do and raise their game against. They've certainly not taken them lightly. And Norwich just have not had the quality, bearing in mind they've done so much of it on a budget, to then match it or or to, to beat it. So everyone's probably allowed themselves to get collectively excited about the prospect of what this could be it's slightly detached from the realism of how much money's been spent. Most supporters who do appreciate the bigger picture are probably shrugging their shoulders and going, well, look, you know, fair enough. This We didn't really have the money to compete. This is it. And also, look at these last nine games. It was hardly fair anyway, because <laughs> we haven't got any supporters in the grounds. Because Stuart Webber, the sporting director, was on the Ornstein and, and Chapman podcast. He seemed to be sad about where Norwich are. But almost like sort of said, you know, we, you know, the most fortunate thing is that they're in good shape for the club. Did they see this as a, a, a dipping the toe, ready to come back again when it's uh, when they're a bit ready? They went up thinking, whatever happens here, whatever happens here, if this goes how our budget says it's going to go, we'll be okay. We're not going to go and spend fifty million pounds when we've only got fifteen. Everything we spend is going to be budgeted for our, the length of our parachute payments. However badly this goes. We will be back in the championship and we will be ready to finish at least in the top six. And we will be in a better position as a football club than we were 12 months ago. That is the bigger picture and that is exactly what they've achieved, 100%. They certainly didn't set that as the goal. I mean, they 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 genuinely felt that, and I think they really hoped that they could do something special. It then becomes very difficult, doesn't it? If, if you suddenly then seize the chance of that actually fulfilling itself, to then go oh no, we were actually right in the first place. It's very hard. And I think that probably hurts because they will give you a list of the injury issues and bearing in mind the finest of margins Norwich are having to deal with to try and compete, to then you know have so many injury issues at centre-back especially. It just makes, you know, it doesn't take much to knock them off kilter because the margins are so fine. So they've not been dealt um, the best possible hand at, at times either, the way they're operating. Having the plan and the picture is absolutely right. And I could spend probably an hour talking about the respect I have for Stuart Weber and the job he's doing and how far he will go. But there are a lot of other things that will come into play as and when Norwich are relegated and dealing with the championship in terms of a different set of expectations, in terms of the way that Daniel Farker has then got to manage a club that, has gone up and then come down and it's got to try and go up again. It's such a different dynamic to just taking it and trying to build it from the off. So there are um, some really unique, some unique challenges that they haven't had to deal with so far as a group. A podcast made by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Jason, the finishing 11, is it the one you're going to start with in the next game? Or is that, am I, am I just, just trying too hard to make too many changes? Um, maybe close to, I think, uh, Kapu back in, Kiko back in, they were both taken off, I'd, I'd have them starting, who do we take out, I don't know, Chalabar seemed to give the ball away quite readily tonight, yeah. but I, that's just the impression I got, Pereira when he came on, gave the ball away a couple of times, but, you know, he might be able to offer something. And and like I said, Welbeck through the middle looked good. Perhaps we, we should start with him through the middle. Um and Restini. I think the the commentary on, on Sky said mentioned the fact that obviously he was late back to join the group for the restart because of his concerns. Is he fully fit? Does it take him a while to get up to full fitness? Are there problems there? So 
I think I think that's a I think that's a bit of a red herring. I think he was late, late back, but not by much. And he will have he will have been keeping himself fit. And he's he's an experienced player, isn't he? He's been with Watford for ten years. He knows what's required. He's been in the Premier League for this is his fifth season now, so he knows what's required. The fact of the matter is, he's a very different player to Danny Welbeck. And in this Watford side, in this Watford setup, in this Watford predicament, we we have to start asking questions, and we can't ask questions with the setup we currently have. Um, Danny Welbeck got to the byline a couple of times squared for Will Hughes. He manufactured that chance himself. He looked he looked comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, he looked strong. Um, you know, this isn't a low this is a low bar he's he's operating against. But he he in terms of our attacking threat, it went through the through the comparable roof when he came on. So this is nothing against Troy Deeney. Danny Welbeck is obviously a better option at the moment. We haven't looked like scoring since coming back and we looked vaguely threatening when, when he came on. I think Messina was important when he came on as well, mm. getting forward and he, do you know what? He had a, he had two, count them, <laughs> shots on target. I think he's leading the stats since we've come back from restart for that. I, I, I heard the commentary talking about Troy being unfit and I don't really buy it. I just don't think his, his style of play or the way Watford are trying to um, use Troy Deeney is working at the moment. The, you know, that, that much is evident. So we have to try something out. You can't count this Norwich side out. They are a decent, decent side. Um, they've probably got nothing to lose now, but they will be seeing Watford as the very, very last opportunity to, to roll the dice and stay in the, in the Premier League. So they will be going for it. Make no bones about it. They will have watched the game tonight. They will have watched Watford's um, game since restart and they will have recognised that Watford are quite frankly... At the moment, hopeless. So they've got absolutely nothing to lose. The world and their wife assume that Norwich have, are going to get relegated. So they were thinking this is our, this is the best chance, probably of the season, to get three points. Daniel Farker is a, is a, is a canny operator. He's a decent side. The squad look like they're together. They look like they're, they're, they mean business. They're struggling, obviously, because the, the quality isn't there. But Watford have just got, there's so many ways to get out of Watford at the moment. And, you know, Tuesday is nowhere near a foregone conclusion. And I am petrified that, that Watford are going to lose that. And when and if they do, that will be it. That will be curtains. There will be absolutely no way back from that. Because we've had the same conversations every every week since at home to Brighton back in August. Perhaps if we can do this, if he steps up, if he, if he, if he plays the way we know he can. Week in, week out, we've said it. Week in, week out, barring a couple, we've beaten Man United, beaten Wolves, um, beaten Liverpool. Three games, three high points in in, in a, a season as long as this is is an appalling return. There's no reason that we should go into Tuesday confident, none at all. The annoying thing I think for me is hearing Troy Deeney's comments over the last couple of weeks. You know, firstly at, at Burnley saying we need a light bulb moment, and as people have been saying, where, why do you not have that light bulb moment six months ago? And the fact that they've had hard conversations this week after everything that happened with Andre Gray and his birthday party, well, they weren't hard enough conversations because that wasn't a performance. That wasn't uh, uh, an attitude change uh, to, to work hard enough for this to be enough to keep Watford in the Premier League. It's difficult because if, if, if Hughes had smuggled that one in with, on 88 minutes or, or whenever it was, Watford can then kitchen sink it. And the and the plan has worked. They've they've turned round a, a two nil deficit at half time, and have, have, have smuggled away a point. And you could see what they were trying to do. And you know, they're not going out onto the pitch and, and being dreadful on purpose. They're not losing these games on on purpose. But it's 
it's just nowhere near working at the moment. And you're right, John. They, you, they say the right things, but when they cross the white line, they're not doing the right things. Uh, and really, it's been the case all year. Like I said, you know, following up that Brighton game with the with the th- they let three in against an average West Ham side. So the writing was on the wall very, very early. It's continued for the entire season, and I think everyone will be going into Tuesday now frightened, quite frankly. And it's not even Halloween. Thank you very much, Michael. It's Saturday night, and we've had a great time. <laughs> not. Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you. And thanks, Mike. Oh, well, look, whatever. <laughs> well, look, whatever. There's your podcast title right there. Thank you very much for listening to From the Rookery End, uh, brought to you by The Athletic. Remember, you can get a 30-day free trial of The Athletic by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and uh, you can maybe read a little bit about what, what Adam's been writing in his piece is Troy Deeney driving Watford forward or holding them back uh, that was a very interesting system uh, analysis that is on there and maybe maybe Mr Pearson will read that and make a, make a different choice for who starts up front at home to Norwich <sighs> Mike you've got to say it you've got to finish the podcast I can't do it because the children are upstairs asleep Come on, you horns. Come on, you horns. One last roll. Let's go.